Welcome to the Unriveted Podcast, where we talk about technology initiatives such as artificial intelligence, digital transformation, and people. Today, we're going to put up a nonprofit into our uh, podcast dimension. It's called 10,000 Degrees. And 10,000 Degrees, they have a mission where they envision a world where all students, regardless of race, ethnicity, and social economic background will have a full range of educational opportunities, support, and resources to realize their full potential. With that, um, I'll put that information into the write-up of the podcast. And John, would you like to introduce our guests? All right. Thank you, Martin, for that. Uh, today, we are joined by the co-founders of Super Duper DB, Timo Hageman <laughs> and Duncan Blythe. And as soon as I said I wasn't going to mess up your last name, I think I did. So uh, my apologies. But uh, Timo and Duncan are our special guests today. They're going to walk us through uh, and talk uh, uh, talk to us about Super Duper DB and how it fits into the ever-growing landscape of artificial intelligence. Uh, so Timo and Duncan, uh, thanks for being with us today. Uh, Martin said, as I'm sure you're aware, we like to keep things very conversational and uh, free form. So I'll turn it over to both of you. And if you want to give us a brief introduction on your background, your experience, and obviously we'll turn the topic over to Super Duper DB, that would be great. So welcome Timo and Duncan. Sounds good. So my name was nearly, nearly correct. So it's, it's, it's <laughs> Hagenau, Hagenauer, whatever, however you want to call it. Hagenau, we had Hagenau before. Um, yeah, so what can I tell you? I'm, I'm actually not an engineer. I'm not a data scientist, but I'm, I happen to be, uh, be a founder pretty much all of my career. So as many years in ad tech, uh, but then I, I uh, co-founded an AI company together with Duncan and another friend. Um, and um, back then we would do e-commerce AI search navigation and we would kind of um, be confronted or even you could say overwhelmed with, with you know, the the overhead which, which comes with standard MLOps solutions and that made us develop our own internal tooling and um, development principles uh, which we would implement just really to overcome data pipelines. And ultimately, that's that's what we're now kind of productionizing and, and you know, we want to give back to the community that, that tooling we would have developed, which is instead of bringing data to the models, kind of, you know, building building these pipelines, it's pretty much bringing the models very close to the data, to the uh, data storage. And, and that's what we're doing with SuperDuperDB. So how did you align with Duncan on doing SuperDuperDB? That's that's a that's a broad that's a broad question. How how did how did we align? So so actually Duncan and I we were introduced uh through a friend like over ten years ago and we've we've been just friends for, for many years, you know. The, um at some point we decided that we definitely want to do something together and, and you know I'm me coming from AdTech, Duncan actually uh maybe Duncan I'm I'm introducing you now <laughs> to some extent. <laughs> Duncan coming from from uh, industry, basically, from from pretty big e-commerce player, and we said, like, hey, look, we actually wanted to um, create an AI innovation lab. That's what we wanted to do. It's really where we where we focus on uh, technological development, creating nice prototypes, and and just see how we how we bring them to market. And and um, 
we end, ended up uh, focusing on e-commerce, but but we really saw like this big opportunity with this paradigm changing solution, which we now have with SuperDuperDB, which is kind of, you know, eliminating this this whole paradigm of, of moving data and, and, and creating pipelines. And that's how we, uh, yeah, kind of already we like we on a journey since uh, Duncan, how many is it five years now so, so five yeah. years yeah 2018 six years yeah yeah so so Duncan tell us a little more about yourself uh it, it'd be always great for our audience to know who you are so, so where I live I actually I'm from from England obviously but um I live in Germany and my name is unpronounceable in Germany because in it's it's <laughs> It's B O Y T H E blood blithe, but Germans pronounce Y U. So, so Y is a U, and T H E gets pronounced not as like a one syllable, but it gets pronounced as a new. So instead of blithe, I'm called Bluter, which <laughs> means flower. <laughs> I'm Duncan Flower. Actually, actually, it's a small anecdote because my Siri is on German. So whenever I say call Duncan Blythe, it's like. He it always understands Duncan Life, and I don't have a Duncan Life in my phone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so exactly. So yeah, how did I get to Germany? Uh, starting startups uh, in AI. Um, yeah, so I originally studied mathematics um, in England, and um, after you know looking around, I was reading a book. Um, where you know, I read that you could do stuff with math and the brain, and that sounded kind of interesting. So I got fascinated by that and found my way to Berlin, which is where um, they had you know, a new program um, focusing on ML, some machine learning, AI, and computation neuroscience. And at that time, computation neuroscience was the thing people were excited about, and it all came out to nothing. And luckily, I chose the other thing, which was ML, which was kind of dry and technical. Mm -hmm. But now it's kind of taken over the world, so I was lucky to make that decision. And fast forward, I did my PhD, postdoc, moved to industry, and um, in Germany is kind of you know, it doesn't have these big tech companies like the rest of the world does. And so for me, like founding a startup was just a way to do really interesting, cool, uh, technical things with AI before we hit this massive hype trend, essentially. Uh, and um, I just like in my um, uh, immediate environment, there weren't many entrepreneurs starting companies, even though we knew what was going on in like California and so forth. But since I knew Timo through my circle of friends, and you know, he made the whole thing around starting a company seem much less problematic than I imagined. It was kind of a, a blessing to, to to know him and. And now I guess I'm an entrepreneur too. So nice, anyway, so SuperDB nice. was exactly, and he, he told the rest of the story. It wasn't just to do with me. It was also to do with, you know, this was a, a unique opportunity to, um, to bring the world's software development, infrastructure, ML and AI into sort of a, a unity, which I think is quite fascinating. So is this your first time in the entrepreneurial world, uh, Duncan, or have you been around before no, my second time so 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 team and i already had one startup before this uh, which we found in 2018 and we ran that for a couple of years um so this would be our second startup yeah great yeah. great 
Well, let's jump into super duper DB then. That's the, the theme of today. And, uh, you know, now it's the time that Martin and I pepper you with questions at rapid fire pace and you have to keep up. <laughs> All right, I promise it's not going to be like that. But um, so, you know, uh, we've done our research, obviously, and uh, and know a little bit about your product, but there's no better insight than from the developers and founders themselves. So one of the things that I notice about Super Duper DB is that it isn't an actual database. Uh, it makes your existing database super duper. Uh, so yes. ex if you care to explain how that works and what that means, I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah. So so pretty much super duper DB, what it does, it, it transforms your data store into an AI development and deployment environment, kind of, right? So, so you know, we're really trying to, to eliminate this whole paradigm of, of moving data away from, from the data source, because ultimately, all enterprise um, AI use cases and applications that are based on proprietary data, which is stored in some mm -hmm. kind of data uh, storage or data, data data storage system. And, and ultimately, you don't want to move data away and deal with uh, data management overhead. You just mm -hmm. want to use AI, right? You just want to take models and kind of install them onto that system and allow the models to interact with the data which is stored in these systems. And then that's ultimately what we're doing. So you're right, it's it's not, a, in fact, not a database. And it's kind of misleading, but uh, going forward, we are trying to to kind of lose, lose the DB uh, along the way. Gotcha. So, I mean, it's kind of like, and I don't know if you guys played this game as a kid, and maybe I'm dating myself by saying this, but it reminds me of the, the telephone game uh, where some one kid starts with a message and then whispers it to the next one and then whispers it to the next and back. And then you see what the original message was on, or you see what how that message got transformed <laughs> from where it started to where it ended. And I can kind of see that, you know, as a uh, analogy to, to what you're trying to do is, you know, the more that you move data away from where it came from, different things can happen along the way, some intentional, some unintentional, uh, and then who knows what comes out the other end. So I, I assume that that's kind of one of the ways that you look about why uh, super duper DB or just super duper, I guess we can call yes. it. <laughs> it's like, well, you can also settle on super, right? <laughs> but it, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, that's exactly that, right? I mean, this it's it's uh, kind of tedious to call all these different people in a chain. Rather, mm -hmm. you want basically mm -hmm. have all the people to be informed, if you want to take that metaphor. But it's exactly right. that. Yeah. Right, right. And, now, thinking about the data challenges for AI, systems in particular right so data is obviously nothing new uh in the in this world here um you know machine learning has been around for decades um but ai is kind of a new you know it's a it's setting a a new paradigm right you know where we have vector databases and and we're using text and images and and other sorts of uh unstructured data that we didn't always used to use so you know we were kind of stuck in numerical data um and now we have well numerical representations of things like text and images. So I'm kind of interested in uh, speaking a little bit more about SuperDuperDB and how it uh, works with vector databases or how it improves vector databases, um, since those have become quite the rage in the past, you know, year and a half or so. Yeah, so um, 
I mean, there's this 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 concept of introducing a new vector da database, which is basically okay. Maybe maybe one one step back. So so when we talk about uh, vector search, which is kind of this breakthrough, you know, data search and navigation solution, we have to really talk about two different things, right? One is actually the vector storage, vector store, and one is actually performing, you know, comparing these different vectors in this in this vector space, which is kind of vector search, which is to be understood as a vector search engine, right? And now in the in, in the last years, you had this this these new solutions coming up, which are called vector databases, and and um, it's really a question if it makes sense that you have a dedicated database, although your existing database is perfectly capable of storing large numbers, right? Like and and what happened then after after this initial rise of vector databases that the major Existing major databases kind of introduced uh, native vector search or vector search engines to their offerings, right? So we we have now MongoDB Atlas, which is the managed service of MongoDB, uh, offering uh, Atlas vector search. But now it's just the second most used uh, vector database. Now you have PG. I don't know things are uh, moving fast. I don't know even PG vector or Postgres uh, or PG vector for Postgres should be should be widely distributed by now. And it's really just a question like, do you really need a, a dedicated specialized database or vector store just, just for these use cases? And I think there will be very few use cases, although there will be some, right? So there's definitely demand for that. There's a good reason why they exist, but there will be very few use cases where you really need a, a highly optimized setup where you have a dedicated vector database because you have you're really high uh, or large amounts of, of data where uh, the use cases actually provide business value. Where it's more like a shiny demo, but where really the the use case provides value to an end user, to a human end user. Or, and it's it's kind of the question. So, ultimately, um, our thesis is this: it's, it's it's just a question of time until all usual databases will provide some kind of vector search engine, and that's what we're seeing already, right? But so the question remains, you know, how to how to efficiently uh, in, in, in a structured way, which you can manage going forward, how to generate vector embeddings of your data, and it's a, the question remains. Um, and of course, some of the vector datas they provide embedding methods and models off the shelf, but for the others, it's still the the paradigm of of kind of taking your data out of your database, like throwing it against an API embedding API like OpenAI. Uh, mm. or hosting your own embedding model and then kind of, you know, generating embeddings for your for, uh, of your data and then retrieving these embeddings and storing them back into your database. And that's exactly where we come in because we just make it very um, easy uh, and, and effortless to, to install models onto your database and embedding mm -hmm. models are just a special type of machine learning models. So it's it's exactly that, right? You can literally just take a, Take a model on API, connect it or install it on your database, just uh, simply with the query define your input data, which you want to create vector embeddings for, and then just mm -hmm. uh, create uh, embeddings, which you can then index with your vector search engine, and then you can perform vector search very easily. Perfect. Martin, go ahead. I, I've been taking all, all the time up for my questions. <laughs> it's all good. So... We we know that you've introduced that as an open source project. Can you talk about the traction of the open source today and the potential to get to monetization? 
I mean, uh, we've been really uh, surprised even by the how, how well it was received, right? So we started um, to we, we kind of we uncloaked the code base late autumn last year with initial support from MongoDB because Duncan and I, in our previous company, we were doing everything with MongoDB. We're great fans. But anyhow, we uh, launched version 0.1, which is quite conservative, of course, um, with support of major SQL databases. And um, yeah, the launch itself was, was so well received. I mean, we put it on Hacker News and we wrote a launch blog post and put it on some platforms. We actually didn't spend any marketing budget, but we ended up trending on GitHub globally for, for a week straight. And, and really the, the traction we see now is it's really just a product of the last two months, pretty much. So actually, today is the mm -hmm. fifth, I just realized now. So it's exactly two months. So yeah, the, the feedback has been just yeah awesome, actually. So, so so people understand the value proposition. I mean, of course, when, you, when, you, when you're dealing with an open source right. project, the readme itself, you have to put a lot of effort in, in the phrasing and you know how you want to put things. But, but people really get it. And also, I think this this um, pain points we are trying to solve, many people deal with it on a daily basis, right? So so when you look at not just Gen AI, but also standard ML use cases, there are a lot of shiny demos, there are a lot of great prototypes you see all over LinkedIn and so on. But the problem is like, how do you get these into production in environments where you have to deal with constantly changing data, right? Where you have to... Mm -hmm you know, keep your, keep your deployment, the applications uh, up to date when there's new data coming in all the time. And I think that's a big problem. And this is exactly where you rely then on these ETL processes and pipelines and batch, batch updating overnight and whatever, all these different things. And it, it's kind of, for me, not being in this uh, as an engineer, as a, as a like kind of an, as a practitioner for, for decades, it's so unnatural. Right? It really doesn't mm. make sense that it wasn't constructed in a way we kind of constructed now with streaming inference and kind of models listening to data changes in the place where the data is stored. Yeah, it's, it's, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know people always say that AI is going to take jobs and that's a very, you know, that's a very uh, flat way of, of putting it, right? You know, there's so much more nuance to it than that. Uh, but thinking about, you know, the paradigm shift that you're, you know, pushing forth with Super Duper DB, would you say that Super Duper DB uh, in its current form or however it may evolve over time could potentially eliminate certain roles that exist now in the development of AI pipelines like data engineering or um, anything like that? Hopefully that makes sense. Yes, yes, no, most definitely. Actually, also, uh, um, Martin, what you said about commercialization, exactly, mm -hmm. this is exactly the intention, right? To really eliminate all of all of the overhead which is involved with, with this concept of pipelines, right? Of, of moving mm -hmm. data and making sure, you know, data is, of course, data is always going to be uh, brought to the models, but it's, it's the question, should this be... Uh, should this be a task of the engineer, right, of the DevOps guys, or should this happen mm. just naturally under the hood by by systems, by intelligent systems? And we kind of make these abstractions and these design decisions, design decisions for the developer. Mm -hmm. So um, we, sorry, we're not we're not trying to seem too keen about the idea that people might have less to do in certain areas. I like to think of it more as that, like people are going to have their time freed up for actual creative work. 
And and for right. for me, the so as a data scientist, the creative part of being a data scientist is the actual abstract algorithm part. And and for that, we're actually trying to furnish the the technical person with more more freedom because they're less focused on this dry and, and rather tedious part. So maybe there'll just be more good work done. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we hope. That's what we hope. Yeah. Lots of good work. Um, as yes. we wrap up here, um, we, we try to keep these uh, sessions really tight. But as we wrap up here, uh, maybe uh, Duncan, we'll start off with you. If you had to give advice to yourself as a younger you, uh, is there anything you would do differently in your career coming into this point than you have already accomplished? I mean, I, I was pretty lucky to, to you know, study something I was really interested in and then sort of fallen in backwards into something that turned out to be society changing. So no, I would say keep doing what you're doing. That, yeah. that follows the line of follow your passion and it feels like you're not working. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I tell you, I'll tell you one thing. I, I'll tell you one thing that um, I would have told my younger self. I would have said this, this neural network thing, it doesn't work very well. Keep thinking about it because it's going to work really well. Just give it a chance and be the first, be an early adopter. Don't be like in the second wave of adopters like I was, which was also nice. That brings up, you know what? That brings up, I know we're going to cut it short, but I just wanted a quick, Throw this one in there because I like this question. Um, thinking about neural networks, right? And thinking about transformers, yeah. which is essentially you know, transformational pun very much intended for what we see with yeah. large language models. What do you think the path forward is for improved artificial intelligence system? Bigger models with more parameters, uh, like we see all the GPT models with you know billions, trillions of trainable parameters, or a new discovery, if you will, in model architecture, um, yeah. just kind of like the transformer was not really a discovery, but uh, yeah. does that make sense? I'm interested in what you guys think about that. And maybe I can take that one. So, so uh, obviously we're not going to stop um, because compute is getting cheaper and there are more competitors on the market and parallel multi-machine computation has become much, much easier and faster via software and optimize algorithms. Um, so that's not gonna go away. And so we're gonna get some progress by that route. But I still think like the consensus is that these machines don't recognize concepts and, and so forth like we do. And I was privileged to watch a real learning machine in action this last year and a half because I had a daughter. And um, one thing I noticed that she was able to do very early, which I'm, know that machine learning algorithms can't do was take something like a dog recognize a real dog and then know from seeing a few caricatures in cartoons that that's also a dog so 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 if you take an algorithm what they do is they go into the specter space and they're looking for very similar looking things but if you actually measure the similarity between like a really poorly drawn uh, cartoon of a dog to an actual image of a dog, like in these vector spaces that people are now researching and implementing with vector databases, they're nowhere nearly close to each other. They're only mm -hmm. close to each other in the sense that there's a concept which is much more important than the actual visual similarity. 
and even very, very small um, children are able to go to this concept and then start calling things dogs and cats. And they do what we exactly weren't taught to do when we were learning machine learning, which was to try and describe what a dog is. Like a dog has these two little ears and it's got these eyes and the, the, the tongue sticks out and it, it makes a bark. Right. And, and that means don't get, if you're designing an intelligent system, don't get into those. Don't try and like make rules. And that's the, mm -hmm. the first wave of AI trying to do that because so, so mm -hmm. I'm convinced that, that, you know, and I think that's also a consensus. Now we've, we've kind of, we're starting to get the law of diminishing returns on like throwing huge computes at these problems. And there are going to be new ideas which come in. Um, so very exciting. Perfect. Excellent. So we're going to call us a wrap for the Unriveted podcast uh, on behalf of John and I. We want to thank you both for joining the Unriveted crew. Thanks all. All right. Thanks, guys. Pleasure. Thank nice. you. Bye-bye. Thanks for having us. Thank you.